Live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after three, Sports Pass brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. Matt Black Kia, 6211 Black Horse Bike, EHT. I'm Mike Gill. At Mike Gill Show on Twitter. Just like riding a bike. I feel like I've been doing this for a long time. You have to. I was off for so long and I was nervous. Not really. <laughs> what do I do? I was nervous that I wasn't going to be able to come back and figure out how to do it, but I figured it out. Some would say it's like fingers to a hand. That's right. Fingers to a hand. That line will go down. What the hell was that? What is that? I don't know, but when he made the reference to Moneyball... I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I tweeted that out. Go, come on, Howie. You're going to give me a summary well, here. And I was like, hey, I was watching Moneyball. Yeah, wait a minute. We were watching Moneyball at the same time. I don't think you want to be associated with a lot of things Howie Roseman has been up to in the last couple of years. <laughs> I'd love to be a fly on the wall and what goes on in that organization. i just love to hear it because I could see, you know, I definitely feel like Roseman, and I'm not like this huge Roseman guy, but I definitely feel like people just hate the guy. Why? Because he's not a Philly guy, the way he talks. Yeah, it's like Gabe Kaplan. I really feel like he has so little power, and people act like he has been the worst thing ever. He has no power. Like, he's not allowed to do anything. It's like, you want that job, you can have that job. You don't get to say anything, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's like Lori holds he's got the, the title. We all go after him. He's the guy because he's got the title. But really, I don't think Roseman does anything. It's Elton Brand. Elton Brand last year did nothing. He just sat in the chair. Right. Roseman is now Elton Brand. I think he's a little bit above that. Maybe. Though. A little bit above that. All right. College basketball is back. There's so many things going on. NFL playoffs. Big man on basketball is the podcast. Make sure you listen to it. It is out. Tomorrow's drops at 9 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Jeff Nadeau, big man on basketball from Barstool Sports. I think he'll disagree with me on my Roseman stuff, though. What's up, Jeff? Hey, Mike. Uh, before we get into the show, I got to tell you, man, and I remember because a few years ago I did a, I did a show for a radio station in another city, and I picked out the intro songs, uh, the intro tracks. I don't know who picks your intro tracks out, but that track you just played is one of the greatest Philadelphia tracks ever. Shout out to the guy who picked that instrumental. Shout out to me. You picked that. Don't yeah. don't give him enough credit. I pick all the music, man. Now, now he's going to be bragging about this for the next ten days. Now let me ask you: Do you know who? Do you do you know that track or? Yeah, Benny Siegel, Jay Z. Once again, come on. Bear witness to the greatest. Can't beat us. Join us. Keep heat is on us. With red lasers. Yeah, that Beanie Siegel is my favorite rapper ever. So when I hear that, I went, I got hyped. Shout out Mike Gill for that one. <laughs> I love when you watch Jeff do his videos, by the way. You get a shout out on the video. You're a somebody. I just became a somebody. All right, man. So happy yeah. New Year to you, first off. Same to you. Same to all you guys. Thanks. So um, college basketball. Now I want to get into, we're in the um, conference schedule and how that kind of changes things for you and how the season has kind of, you know, been so wild with these back-to-backs. You got teams playing back-to-back nights. Like, it, has it made it more difficult to kind of figure out what's going on? Uh, I don't know if it's much different than any other season, to be really honest. Um, you know, college basketball has a few deficiencies, one of which is 
Um, you know, it's always been a, a song and dance to get injury information. Uh, this is just kind of sad state that college basketball and, and college football, for that matter, are in. You know, the leagues have basically, you know, the NBA, the NFL, they've become very friendly with sports book operators, and, and you know, they're a little bit more helpful. Um, sadly, though, um, colleges aren't as nice. Um, you know, sometimes I've had a couple games this year where certain guys just aren't playing for some reason, and, yeah, that's no different from any other year, but you know, Mike, I had a really good start to the season. December, most of the end of it, the last 12 to 15 days weren't particularly good. But, you know, the last couple of days I've gotten back on the horse. And, um, you know, th- this is where I think what I do is helpful because, you know, a lot of people have been betting football and college football, um, you know, and, and I've been betting it and I've been studying college basketball for, for months now. So this is where I can kind of spot stuff. I don't have to spend as much time. And commerce play is always helpful for me as a, as a, as a college basketball gambler. Now I know we got you on like right now, but I know you like this Winthrop team, which is tipped off about five minutes ago, but maybe some people can live bet this thing. Yeah, I, I played them yesterday. Um, you know, back to backs are tough. I've tried to avoid them as much as I can. Um, I've had, I think I'm kind of breaking even with them this year. You know, Winthrop is a team, though, that you, you got to start really recognizing if you're someone that's you know, lightly betting basketball or you want a team to keep an eye on. You know, this team really has the makeup of a team that I don't want to see in March if they're in a bracket. Uh, they're terrific offensively, one of the fastest teams in the country. Uh, they have a ton of depth and one of the deepest teams you'll find, and they blow teams out. I mean, it's it's, you know, and they're blowing out good teams. They blew out a Furman team that's really good by 16. Uh, they score a ton of points. I think they've scored 80 or more in every game but one, and that was the first game of the year. Um, Charleston Southern's a, a complete mess. Uh, Charleston Southern's a team that um, you know really struggled to score the basketball. They have all sorts of injuries. Um, this just isn't really a great tempo game for them because you know, they want to speed it up defensively, and, and Winthrop's just going to tread them on offense, which is what they did yesterday. So, yeah, I didn't play it today, uh, just with the back-to-backs, but Winthrop's a team that I would write down if I'm a gambler out there. Yeah, it's them, and uh, I know last night. Now, last night um, I, I was in on uh, Drake. They've been a good one to go with. That team's been a lot of fun. <laughs> um, but I yeah. think it, it might have been you who said this on the pod the other day about Winthrop. Is like a, they could be like the, the, the uh, Loyola Chicago type of team. They'd be a team that no one really yeah. pays attention to, but could make a deep run in the tournament. They are. They're, they're really well coached as well. This guy, Pat Kelsey, they have, he's terrific. And, you know, they, they like I said, very deep. They're a team that, you know, could really scorch you. You don't want to play them uh, offensively. And, you know, you mentioned Drake. I mean, you know, 11-0 against the number. Uh, the last team to go 11-0, I think, was St. Mary's a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, this team, Drake, right now, you know, I've always been in the notion of if you haven't been betting it, you know, for at least five games – be the one to come in and jump on it because it's sooner or later going to fall. But um, I'm going to make this very clear: Drake plays Loyola Chicago on Sunday and Monday. They will. I'm going to. I almost guarantee this: they do not cover both those games. I'll make that very clear. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if they lose both of them. It's a coin flip game. Loyola is a better team. Jeff Nadu, big man on basketball at the podcast. So before I get your thoughts on some of the NFL stuff coming up this weekend, which we will uh, talk more in depth on Saturday morning, but uh, what are some of the games that you're going to get into tonight for tomorrow's podcast? 
Yeah, for, for tomorrow's uh, show, we got a bigger, deeper card. Um, you know, Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday's cards have been pretty pretty lackluster, not a ton of games. And, yeah, I'll tell you what, Mike, the card tonight is um, a lot of coin flips, a lot of coin flippy games, a lot of close calls. There's not a ton of you – know, as far as mid-majors on the card, you know, it's a lot of the back-to-backs that I'm not really in love with getting involved in. So, you know, as far as for me, I only had, like, one play. I loved, a play that I'll just throw out quick to your people – um, I didn't really understand this line. I was, I was. It's moved around. It opened 134. It was bet up, and then it's been bet back down. Uh, Missouri, Mississippi State. Um, these are two teams that are just slow as molasses, particularly Mississippi State. Uh, neither team, I think, can score the basketball against each other. Uh, they're both uh, groups that want to play pretty slow and, and just kind of grind out possessions. You know, Mississippi State is a, is a mess right now. They, they just can't score consistently. I was surprised by this number. As far as tomorrow, though, on the show, we got uh, Minnesota, who, who's playing well against uh, Michigan. Uh, Bonaventure, uh, they're back in action. They're off a big win. They get St. Joe's. St. Joe's, man, they just cannot get out of their own way. They had a shot to win the other night against uh, Rhode Island, Mike. They're up three with about 10 seconds to go. Fats Russell from Philadelphia is fouled on a three, a terrible decision, and they take it to overtime. Rhode Island wins in overtime. St. Joe's is winless. We'll see if they can go on the road and beat Bonaventure. All right. Uh, make sure you listen to Big Man on Basketball wherever you get your podcast. It drops tomorrow morning at 9. They'll go a lot deeper. Uh, they do a great job. It's a great pod. You learn a lot. I'll tell you what, it's really going to help a lot of people out there come tournament time. When you see, like, man, why, who the heck is this team as a seven seed? Why are they here? If you listen to the pod, you'll know a lot more about a lot of these teams once they get there. By the way, uh, my man Sheebway leaving the, the program sucks, but how about that comeback last night? Yeah, you know, I had uh, my guest on the show the other night, Mike Randall. He um – he he liked Oklahoma State, and so did I. Um, you know, if you had Oklahoma State, you you should have got the job. They're done. up nineteen. That's just where like, yeah, they're up nineteen at eleven to go. You got to get the job done. But um, yeah, Sheboy losing him sucks for sure. I mean, that's going to hurt them long term. Uh, Culver's really good, but with them as a tandem, they were special. Um, they're, they're kind of a team now that I'm uh, I'm going to kind of wait on. By the end of the season, they'll be fine. But you know, I think in the interim, that was just kind of one of those. You know, co- collapses. I guess you know it was Oklahoma State more than anything. But yeah, it was a big win for Huggins. Yeah, man. All right, uh, real quick, we'll do deeper on these games Sunday on the uh, playoffs. But any of the wild card uh, games stick out? You got uh, Saints ten point favorites at Brown. Situation's a mess. They're six point dogs. Uh, you got an eight and a half point dog in Washington at home. Buffalo six six and a half point favorite. Anything uh, on Wild Card Weekend really jump out at you when those lines came out? Yeah, you know, um, I, I just a couple. You know, Colts Bills interesting because I've noticed with Indianapolis this year when they step up and play a high level offense, uh, it usually turns into a bit of a shootout. I think they're a bit of a paper tiger on defense. Uh, and, and when you go back and just look at some of the higher-end offenses, gave up 31 to the Packers, uh, you know, gave up 45 to the Titans, um, you know, 27 to the Raiders. You know, this is a team that will fold against a good offense. Um, and, look, the Bills are on fire right now. Uh, I know it's the playoffs. You know, things are a little bit more packed in. But these are two offenses I think will move the ball against each other. I still don't necessarily trust the Bills' defense. 
Um, so that's one I had some interest in. I, I'd like to see it come down a little bit more, but um, you know, if, if it if I can get fifty one ish, I might have some interest there. Uh, one game I did bet was New Orleans. I, I think they take care of business here in a big way. Uh, the Bears don't belong in the playoffs. It's just that simple. Uh, and the old New Orleans Saints, and when you look at this team, I mean, this team is is has been one of the best offenses in the in the league, even without Michael Thomas for a period of time. Kamara was out at one point. Drew Brees has been out. Um, we, we have to also point out re- really good run defense. And, and one thing I saw from the Bears on Sunday was yeah, they really lean on David Montgomery. I mean, they, there's not much there. Yeah, they're dealing with. I mean, you look at you look at the, one of their best receivers right now, the Bears. It's it's Darnell Mooney. And I just want to call Darnell Mooney out for just a second, Mike, because there's an Eagle connection here, and I'm going to tell you how it is. <laughs> this is how anemic the Eagles are at drafting receivers. So they take John Hightower in the, in the fifth round last year. John Hightower has 10 catches on the season. Darnell Mooney on Sunday, Mike, had 11 receptions <laughs> for 93 yards. He has four touchdowns. This team not only can't draft first and second round receivers – but even the back-end players are just terrible. Like, they just never hit on anybody. Yeah, the wide receiver misses have been just unbelievable. You could put a list of just absolute donkeys out there. Um, all right, I Jeff. Wrote, yep. I, Mike, I wrote a blog about a month ago on barstoolsport.com, and I, I talked about just the absolute laughable situation the Eagles are in drafting receivers. I mean, it goes back really to, like, the 90s. Outside of Deshaun Jackson, they have never taken a receiver that's done anything. And it's wild how many players that they don't take. Virtually every single one of them is that's good too, right? outside of the one they took. Jeff Nadu, yeah. the uh, podcast is a big man on basketball. He's at Jeff Nadu. Follow him there. Also, tell us about the Barstool Fund and what you guys are doing. Yeah, you know, this is a cool thing Dave created. Uh, it's basically, you know, it's been pretty clear throughout the last month or two that the federal government has no real interest in helping small businesses. And, you know, they're the backbone of our country. Wherever you live, Mike, I know down in South Jersey, I'm a a guy that will move there eventually. I love that area. There's so many great businesses down there. I know they're struggling with a limited summer. Uh, Businesses are hurting right now. And, you know, Dave's put together a fund, all the proceeds that are donated, you know, from celebrities or just regular people, every dollar goes to struggling small businesses. You know, there's I think we've helped, uh, and Dave's helped about 70 businesses so far around the country, and yet more keep getting added. I know Penn donated a, a million bucks today. So, wow. you know, they're up pushing 20 million bucks in the last couple of weeks. So, um, you know, I urge anyone out there, if you can afford to donate, you know, just whatever you can. Um, this is a fun, Mike, that I think we have to realize we are the line of defense in helping each other now. This is crystal clear, Okay. The government isn't going to help us, so we got to band together and and you know make our voices heard and go help people. And you know, good for Dave and good on Dave for doing it. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Barstool Sports. You can uh, get all the information there at Jeff Nadu on Twitter if you want to donate. Uh, those calls have been great with Dave and calling the businesses. I've been seeing them out there, so great job out of those guys. All right, Jeff's back on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. We'll look at the uh, wild card weekend, college basketball card. Listen to the podcast tomorrow. It drops at 9 a.m. Jeff Nadu, Barstool Sports. All right, my friend. Mike, good to have you back, by the way. Good to hear your voice. Thanks for having me. You got it. He, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And Jeff will be back with me on Saturday morning. As if it's his show. Thanks for 
You know what I mean? Great to have you back, he says. I like Jeff. <laughs> yeah, great he's a great. Oh, he's phenomenal. All right, when uh, we come back, it's our Inside the Sixers. Jay Blevins was there last night. Got a great piece up right now about Dwight Howard. Has this guy not reshaped his whole image? Unbelievable. Jay Blevins was there last night. We'll get more info on is this Sixers team for real? Should we Have you changed your expectations? Plus, we got anytime hotline calls from the Sixers game last night. Our Inside the Sixers will take our Sixers insiders Jay Blevins, Paul Hudrick, Kevin McCormick. You'll hear them all right here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. It's Sixers basketball tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis, calling all the exciting play-by-play action. Hurry, catch, shot three, got it. That's a new look for the Sixers. Seth Hurry, back-to-back. to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, inside the Sixers, we'll do it every day at this time. We'll take a look at the Sixers, who are very active this week. They played last night, they'll play tomorrow, they play Thursday, they play Saturday. It's a busy stretch coming up for the hometown five. We have the best record in basketball. So, your expectations changed there, Brooks? No, not really. I mean, it's seven Six games. Seed? Seven games. Uh, Six seed? No, I think they're in that four or five, six range. It just depends on, you know, they're going to battle it out with three other teams in right. that area, and we'll see where it goes. I'm wondering out there, did people say, ah, this is the same six seed, change their opinion at all? They look different. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I just think it's such a small sample size. You know, like, are the Celtics three and three? Well, they're now four, five and three. I think they won a couple games. Well, like, the Knicks are four and three. Forget the sample that's size. That's what I'm just saying. Just aesthetically what oh, you're seeing. For sure. It's, it's beautiful. Passing the basketball. Spacing. It's magical. I forgot what it looked like. Spacing is a word that we've heard so much. It's not a new word. It's just now the word spacing is being used in such a different connotation there. Jay Blevins was at the game last night covering it for 97.3 ESPN.com. You can read his stuff right now. He's got a great story on Dwight Howard up, and I think Howard is a story that we got to get into too. But what are you seeing, Jay, that is different on the floor about this particular team from the teams that you've covered in the past. I mean, the obvious stuff would be the spacing, but what about the spacing is making this team aesthetically more pleasing? Yeah, you know, I think the league, has, as it went to that small ball revolution, it was all about spacing five out, stretch a defense out, and then that would open up uh, driving lanes um, for shots at the rim. I think what the Sixers are doing differently is they're taking that Maury Ball concept, but they're they're creating sort of a sun and moon type gravitational opposing forces. You've got the extreme interior gravity uh, of Joel Embiid, who is being, if you watch off ball, he's being doubled off ball right now. So that's when they they're not even trying to to uh, feed an entry pass yet before an entry pass he's already being double teamed that immediately someone is open on the on the perimeter when that happens and charlotte did that multiple times both saturday night and last night so that's the one side of the gravity and then you've got the gravity on the other side of you know a danny green who just 
is starting to find out exactly where he needs to stand, and you're seeing his shooting go uh, improve over the last few games. And then a Seth Curry, who is just, you know, one of those few guys like a J.J. Redick, who um, you have to guard, you know, any anywhere inside of 27 feet. So I think what you're seeing with that is it's creating open lanes for a Ben Simmons to attack all the way downhill uh, for a Tobias Harris. It gives Tobias Harris much more time. He's somewhat of a deliberate player, um, much more time to do what he needs to do. And he's thriving in that role. He's Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Um, so I think it's really that uh, what's new about this team is that sort of sun and moon gravity that they're able to to show, and that's just creating real stress on opposing defenses. Right. Now, when I see, if I'm watching and I see Ben Simmons' numbers are similar, um, but isn't it different, even though his numbers don't yeah. look like they are so much better, I, I think they are... It's just different for him. It's like the. It's like Seth Curry is standing out there, whereas before that might be Josh Richardson. So the defender can take two or three steps away from Richardson because he doesn't think he's going to catch and shoot it. But he's now got to take that extra step towards Curry because Curry will catch and shoot it, which now creates more room for Simmons. And he has that on both sides of him with Green on one and Curry on the other. So that's where I think it has really helps Simmons out almost more than anybody. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, but to to Ben's credit, I would say he won the he won last night's game in the first three minutes. And here's why I say that. What Charlotte did in the second half Saturday night is they trapped, they pressed, they tried to really create chaos uh, in the backward with the Sixers and the Sixers threw the ball all over the place. Uh, they rewarded that trapping and that pressure with 16 turnovers in the second half alone. In the beginning of last night's game, and he missed a lot of these shots, but virtually every time down the trip, uh, down the floor for the first three minutes, he went all the way to the rim. Now, I think he only made two of those shots, but he went all the way to the rim by himself, no passing. We're talking about passing ball movement, and it's great. But what he did was he gave Charlotte no oxygen on the defensive end for creating turnovers early on. He forced them, he, he punished them for even trying to apply pressure. And that forced Charlotte to back up, uh, and it allowed the rest of the team to really settle in and play again. Um, it's things like that that, on the on the sort of intellectual side that Ben Simmons brings, that you know, I, I just they're hard to quantify. But uh, when you look at the way that you knew Charlotte was going to try to press and trap, and they they tried again later in the game, uh, he just he punished them for even thinking about it right off the bat. He set a tone right from the beginning. Now, Gil alluded to this by saying the stat sheet might not really show what Ben Simmons is bringing to the table. I'm a Ben Simmons guy. I know about his passing. I know about his elite defense one through five. But offensively, is this enough production? Now, you can say that there's so many other guys around him that he doesn't need to bring it. But, you know, you're talking 10, 11, 12 points per game, kind of in that range at times. Sometimes it's closer to 15. But is that enough offensive production from Ben Simmons? 
I think it's a valid question. I think it's the same question that Milwaukee has with with Giannis. Giannis puts up much more numbers, but what he does works fantastically well for wins in the regular season uh, in a more wide open, you know, open court um, play. Then you look at the playoffs where everything becomes much more disciplined, half court defense. I think they both have the same questions around is there, can they, can they score at enough levels in enough different ways to, um, to break the will of an opposing defense that's, that's elite. Once you get deep into the playoffs, you're going to be playing elite players, elite defenders who are, who are concentrated and locked in. That concern, I think, is still valid. But I think you're going to see a team, and you guys talked about seeding, you're going to see a team that, like Milwaukee last year, is really able to um, just win a ton of regular season games. The way that they're constructed is just, is just I, I think, really suits everyone on that, on that uh, team right now. Uh, Jason Blevins, 97.3 ESPN.com. Make sure uh, you get over there for all the Sixers coverage. We're talking about the starters a lot, um, but one guy that you wrote about, and I and I know that when they signed him, a lot of people might have been like, this guy's a knucklehead, what are you doing? It was almost like when they brought Kwame Brown in a couple of years ago. It's like, really? what? What's this guy's role going to be? I can't say that you've been. people have been more wrong, myself included, like, this guy has completely reshaped his image, and I'm talking about Dwight Howard. What do you see not only in the minutes he provides, but before and after and during the games on the bench? Yeah, so I agree with you. When, when they first signed him, that was a weird night, if you recall. He tweeted out that he was going back to the Lakers. Two hours later, he had signed with Philadelphia. It was a weird beginning. His introductory press conference I, I went through that transcript and I listened to it again last night, and it, it lasts about 20 minutes. That's unusual. Uh, at the beginning, uh, I started in that press conference half paying attention, thinking, you know, there's limited risk. You're only paying the guy what's close to the veteran minimum. If it doesn't work out, you move on. Uh, over the course of 20 minutes, I really became interested, and I asked the question about 15 minutes in. I finally just raised my hand. I, I had not planned on asking him anything. Uh, I asked him what advice he would give himself uh, to, to a 26-year-old version of himself when he was, you know, a superstar, eight-time all-star. And, and, and his answer really surprised me. It showed a depth of maturity, uh, self-awareness, uh, humility, and that, that those three concepts, uh, he's continued to show. And he's shown that not just with us, um, but I'm watching him before every game and after every game now. I think it's starting to become a famous thing with the young players, with um, with Ben Simmons. What he'll do during a timeout, I don't, I don't know if this is on TV, but Ben Simmons will be at the scorer's table uh, during a timeout waiting to get back on the floor. And Dwight will not be in the game, but he'll come over, stand next to, to Ben, and just talk to him about the game. It's these subtle little ways. Tar Tarese Maxey on Saturday night uh, 
the two were attached to him before the game, playing one-on-one, defending each other, uh, just sort of being confident, loose, but committed. Um, and then after the game, he's got Isaiah Joe, he's got Dakota Mathias, he's got Matisse uh, Theibel, he's got Terrence Ferguson out there, and he's just leading shooting drills. You know, 20 minutes after a game, uh, he's out there, he's got his own uh, audio set up that he brings out so that they have music. It's these little ways that that he's contributing, keeping, um, you know, the, the, the commitment to every moment, and that's what he said uh, his his first day with, uh, with with the team. He said, you know, embrace every moment, um, and he, he's doing that. It's, it's surprising because, you know, I think a lot of people, to your point, were skeptical about his commitment. His uh, his reputation as a young player was as a bit of a goofball, quite frankly, and it didn't work in some places. So, at 35 years old, 17 years in the league, he is uh, very impressive as a as a leader. Yeah, it, it's definitely awesome to see him take on this role. And you mentioned shooting after the games and all. It's it's such a good leadership quality. But you also mentioned. Tyrese Maxey and I'm looking back at my notes here from yesterday's game in all caps the Tyrese Maxey show I loved what he did in that fourth quarter what type of skill set does this kid have and how would that relate to helping out this team I mean he likes to compare himself to uh, Drew Holiday and to Jamal Murray but to me every time he steps on the floor it screams De'Aaron Fox and imagine having De'Aaron Fox on your team as your your third point guard. This guy is not turning the ball over. He's he's seeing pressure uh, every night. Uh, people are tr- treating him like a rookie, applying a lot of pressure, trying to make him go until he's hardly turning the ball over at all. He's taking good shots. He he had two threes last night. He's got a floater game. He's he's going to be a really good finisher at the rim. I mean, there's a lot to be excited about with Tyrese Maxey. He is such a luxury for this team. Uh, Jason Blevins covers the 76ers at Jay Blevins NBA. Now, I want to get your thoughts because Harris is a guy who's been knocked. A lot of it's because of the contract. We've seen him play well in stretches. Are we to believe that this is a different Tobias Harris? And I'm not talking about Charlotte on Tuesday night in December. I'm talking about in mid-April. Do we get a different Harris, and why would I believe we would? Well, I just, and I said it yesterday to Josh, um, I just think Tobias Harris is in that tier of player where he's not a superstar on his own to carry a team. But when when he's in the right situation with the right fit, and we're going back to the spacing conversation, he can he can absolutely punish other teams when he they are building a game plan to stop three other guys on the team. He's absolutely capable of punishing a team for doing that. And if you're if you're an opposing team right now and you're building a defensive game plan against the Sixers, he's got to be number 4, right? Because you you got to stop Joel Embiid number 1. You have to do that. Number 2, you have to make sure that uh Ben Simmons doesn't have you know, free reign to to operate. Number three, I think, is Seth Curry. You cannot leave him open. And when you when you're building a defensive game plan to stop all three of those, you just you only have so many um, 
tools in the toolbox, most teams, that's going to, uh, that's going to open up so much for a very competent, um, near all-star level player in Tobias Harris, where he can just punish people. And I think he's doing that. A lot has been made of Joel Embiid's hockey assists. How impressed are you with his passing out of the double team to, to swing it out to a guy in the corner and then bang, bang, bang. It is just moving around the perimeter and they're getting such great looks off of it. Yeah, it's, it is a real improvement. So what you'll see is he, he picks the ball up and he's able to pump fake, get a defense to bite, to close off the pass. The, the, uh, the open man, and he's hitting the second guy. And that's when, and Brett Brown used to use this word, we don't want to get in scramble mode, but that's what he's doing to the other team. He's putting the other team in scramble mode, and then from then on, it makes it very easy for the other guys to, to swing the ball around, and they're creating fantastic looks. If you look at the shot, uh, shot chart from last night, it was, you know, 70% shots at the rim, and you know, 25%, 28% of uh, three-pointers. And a big part of that uh, starts with him and his ability to to punish teams for those doubles. Jay, I'm going to ask you a question that I don't want to say is controversial, but would probably spark a split here in the audience, which would be you're there every night for the most part, uh, as much as they let us uh, with the certain situations going on. You've been there the last couple of years covering this team, so you know Brett's style. You've now seen this. How much of what we're seeing is new coaching philosophy and credit to the new coaching staff, and how much of what we're seeing is they got a better roster, a better roster fit, a better roster construction? Yeah, I think it's it's like, uh, let's break it down. I think it's uh, 50% coaching, just new voices. And I think, you know, we don't have to slam the, the old coaching staff, but it, they're new voices, new terminology. They're not as easy to tune out when they're saying the same thing over and over again. We saw this with Andy Reid, I, I think. You know, Andy Reid's a great coach, but at a certain point after 14 years, you know, everyone has heard, what he's got to say. Um, so I think it's 50% that I think it's, it's 30% just putting complimentary pieces on, on the roster, uh, by Daryl Borey to his credit. Uh, and then there's 20% of it is just, yeah, two young superstars who are a year, year older have gotten smacked around in the playoffs enough times to, um, to feel the sting and the burn and are learning from, their mistakes, they are maturing, they're improving in the spots that they were weak. Um, and you're just now seeing two young superstars, uh, you know, figure it out. All right. Uh, obviously, and, and by the way, I think another thing that is a little underrated is one thing if you really want to criticize, I don't know how critical it is of Brett, was I don't think he had the most experienced uh, staff and right. you have a staff now that has a lot of not only experience but a resume. They played in the league, and I think that is very helpful as well. Totally agree. I, I, uh, you know, you're you're there, so we we see a lot of people. We see legends, Hall of Famers, 
you know, all the time. The one time I sort of um, had a, whoa, that's really cool moment was seeing Sam Cassell as an assistant last year. To have a Sam Cassell out there who's very active with these players, communicates really well with them, that is, it's hard to put a price on that. Dave Jorger is another one who's been a head coach in the league. I don't have a feel yet for exactly what his role is, aside from we know that he's in charge of the defense, and the defense is the best in the NBA. But I don't, I don't get the, the feel from, from watching him interact yet. But Sam Cassell, like, that is such a great assistant to have on your team. And Brett's, Brett's uh, you know, talent development uh, philosophy uh, was very oriented towards younger, inexperienced uh, assistants. Yeah, I think that's a big uh, change as well. All right, Jay Blevins, uh, follow him on Twitter, at NBA. Check out his piece right now on Dwight Howard and get the rest of his Sixers coverage on our website, 973ESPN.com, inside the Sixers here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. All right. He uh, will be back. And, of course, tomorrow uh, we will go inside the Sixers with uh, Paul Hudrick. We will uh, go around the Sixers just like we do football at four. We're going to do a little Sixers, a little NBA with our trio of Sixers insiders. Hudrick tomorrow, McCormick, Hudrick on Friday, Blevins on Tuesday. He's been there. Uh, a couple nights, and you get a good chance now to be in that building. They put you in a great seat, by the way. Yeah, the I see the now. pictures. I see the videos as well. Really good. So you get to see a lot of these things. And, and I, I keep saying the same thing, too, about Howard. Man, this guy is just infectious energy. Yeah, on the bench, someone makes a nice shot. He's the first one up, putting his hands up, going wild. It's crazy, isn't it? It sure is. And uh, we'll talk about... Some of the things we think have changed about this team. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. DeCheco has football at four today. We never stop talking Eagles and NFL. It's football at four. Every day at 4 p.m. on the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. All right, back on a Tuesday. Thanks to Jay Blevins. We'll uh, do our Inside the Sixers tomorrow with Paul Hudrick from 97.3 ESPN.com. Paul's got a story up right now on Tobias Harris. So uh, let's start with Harris. Because we were talking before the show yesterday. This never made it to air because of all the Eagles stuff. But I said, I see a big difference in Harris. And it's like, okay, you can watch the game and say, yeah, he's scoring more. Just his approach looks different. Like... He used to catch the ball, and it was like he was, like, skipping, trying to get himself some separation. Now, it's like he has a plan before the ball. It's like when you play baseball and you're in the field and they say, where are you going to throw the ball if it's hit to me? Like, nowhere you're going to throw the ball if it's hit to me. And there's multiple scenarios. You know, if you're a shortstop, there's a guy on second, the ball's hit to the, takes you to the third base side, and that guy breaks to third, and you're going that way, you're going to try to get, you know, you might go to third. But if you can't go to third to get that out in front of you, you want to make the throwback to first. But you need to know these things before the ball's hit to you. I feel like Harris got the pass thrown to him and had no flipping idea what to do 
once he got the ball to him. He was making it up on the fly. Now it feels like if this guy throws me the pass, I'm taking the ball to the basket no matter what. If this guy throws me the pass, catch and shoot. I'm not thinking about it. I'm just doing it. And that's what looks different to me. Now, does that translate into playoff success? That I can't answer. Right, and I think that's a very important question with a lot of the things that we are seeing, as I mentioned to Jay Blevins about it with Ben Simmons. But going to Tobias Harris, I think you see it the most, too. You mentioned the catch-and-shoot three. When he gets that ball, when he's ready and has his hands, it's so smooth. Like, the jump shot looks fluid. The, mo- the, f- the most fluid I've ever seen since he's been here. It all comes down to knowing what he's doing prior. And that's something Doc Rivers has really stressed since the moment he got here. I have to simplify the game for Tobias Harris. Less thinking. Know what you're going to do. Predetermined stuff. And you're starting to see it. Now, it's funny because the first couple preseason games and early on, and not that that would ever translate to what it's going to be forever, but it was pretty bad for Tobias Harris to the point where I remember in preseason action seeing him take shots off the side of the backboard and have some really bad takes, and I saw the dribble. You know the dribble I'm talking about. You do it pretty well. You imitate the Tobias Harris dribble pretty well. He did that a couple times thinking, oh, it's the same damn Tobias, but with the snap of your fingers, it went from that to what Doc Rivers wanted to get out of him, and it's pretty impressive. There's a lot there, too, as I think Blevins broke it down pretty good. The salary makes him appear that he has to be part of this big three, when in reality, he has now kind of slipped down into like the fourth guy you think the fourth well you got joel you got ben and then Seth. you got curry who i'm not saying he is the number three guy per se but you almost have to put the third most attention on him i would agree with because that. if you don't he's just gonna bang threes He's, All day on And the you. thing is, he's not only a three guy. You know, when you had J.J. Redick, J.J. Redick coming around dribble handoffs and he would shoot the three, and he brought a lot to the table. I'm not knocking J.J. Redick's career. He obviously is successful. But he has so much versatility to what he can do. He can drive. He can put the ball on the floor. He can play make, not to some crazy level, but enough. At enough efficient rate where it's not so easy as this guy's just going to bang threes all day. He can do a lot more than that. There's no question that he does have that little element that he can put the ball on the floor. But I talk about it with Jay in terms of in the past, if you have Tobias Harris out on a wing and you have Richardson on the other ring or Al Horford or any other stiff that they sent out there on a, on a wing, the defender is playing off that guy because he doesn't care about the space of him catching the ball. If he has the space to shoot it, so be it. The guy's shooting 34% from three. What the hell do I care? But if you have a guy shooting 42% from three, I can't just let him catch and have the free look to shoot it. So now if I'm taking three steps towards the paint, that cuts off the angle for Ben Simmons. But now I have to take those two or three steps and go towards the arc because I can't let Danny Green, I can't let Seth Curry catch the ball like I used to let Josh Richardson or Tobias Harris catch the ball because those guys will catch it and shoot it. The other guys would not. So I have to take away the lane for Ben Simmons because that was the killer. But now I have guys, three's better than two, so I'll let Ben take the bank. And here's the thing with Ben, which makes him such a tough guy to defend, is, 
okay, I can see the guy out there saying, well, he's not scoring anymore because once the defense does come to Ben, he is so good at finding the open guy that these guys are getting three-point looks that are wide open. Yeah, I'm so different. Yeah, it really is different. With Ben, I'm with Jay where it's, I got to see this happen in the postseason. And I hate that I feel this way, but I feel like there's a transition. When you're in the process, and then you finally had that, was it a 28-win season that first time Joel wasn't injured, and they won like 28 games, right? The following year, it was a playoff run. So the two years after that 28-win season, it's like a timeline of, okay, you go through misery, you get a nice 28-win season, it was fun, then you're excited for regular season every night because it's postseason basketball. Now we're past that. Now we're at the point where you're making the damn playoffs. The regular season is what it is. You're making the playoffs. And I hate that I feel this way because I'm somewhat missing the journey of these 72 games, but I need to see this happen in playoff basketball. It's almost as if I'm ready to see how is this all going to translate. Is that a flaw on me to skip through this? No, no, not at all, because the game is so different. Yeah, the regular I, I'm getting season game criticized for it heavily. I'm getting ripped because it's like, oh, you don't see this and that. Yeah, I see it against the Hornets. I see it against the Knicks. I want to see it against Kawhi Leonard. I want to see it against Kevin Durant. I want to see it against those guys. Not saying they can't do it. Right. The only thing I will say is if they're showing a propensity to do these like if Ben Simmons came out and shot five threes a night, I don't think you would say, Well, I want to see him do it in the playoffs. Like he has shown over a seventy two game span that he shot five times a game. You would anticipate that he would continue to shoot five times a game or or three, you know, at least, right? Yeah. So if if teams are def- like defending them like this, I would only say I would actually imagine that the lane in the playoffs would even be bigger for Simmons because that defender is going to take another closer step. You know, because like they say, like a guy like Joe Harris or Kyle Korver, Korkmaz, why do they struggle in the playoffs? Because on Monday night in November, they're getting an extra step from the defender. The defender lets you catch that ball and maybe gives you that shot. In the playoffs, that guy's right up in your grill. You are not getting a chance to catch that ball and get the look. Yeah, it's a great point. And with Ben, I I agree with you that in theory that would open up the lane for him. Something that stood out to me so far this season, and even Jay mentioned it, him attacking the rim early, that's great that he did last night against the Charlotte Hornets. He's not a great finisher. he's He's a really poor finisher. So I want him to drive. I'm not saying I don't want him to attack the rim, but... If that is the case, he's got to excel in that area because it's not very smooth. No, he still has, you know, um, it's almost like confusion around the basket. Is he left-handed? Is he right-handed? What does he want to do? But I definitely think the floor spacing has helped this team out more than anything. Yes, the coach has been a nice presence. I agree with what Jay said. Different voice, 100% needed. I'm not here advocating saying Brett Brown could have been doing this with this team. They needed a new voice, but I think the spacing is the biggest difference on this team right now.